go on? Are you going to yeah. let them continue to treat you this way like criminals? Or are you going to stand up and speak the truth like Ollie does and talk to your friends and say, I smoke pot. I'm not a crackhead. <laughs> Please, you know. I'm a productive citizen. Go evangelizing from door to door. Yes. Get, you know, dress nicely. And Which of you Indians wants to come out here and smoke with me? No. Well, you know, it's free choice. It's not for everybody. You know, neither is drinking, neither is coffee. But, you know, it should be a free choice neither and a free Walmart. society. I think we're out of time. Kristen's being very kind. Well, it was fun as usual, Charmy. Thanks for that lovely presentation. Yes. Thank and you. I think we'll have our... We have a guest next week, oh. Karen Shaman. Indian woman, EMU professor, and... Uh, Ypsilanti school board member who helped ensure that they remove the name Braves from the Ypsilanti uh, I saw that school. in the newspaper. Yeah, she's going to come astounded. talk to us. Well, that'll be a good solstice bye -bye. Uh, celebration. Bye-bye. Gotta go. If Pandora's box is a box of chocolates would I know to stay away? What's it? Hand off his box, a box of chocolates. Would I eat them anyway? Cause every time I have half a mind to leave you, babe, that means I have half a mind to stay. It's Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Good evening, this is Mike. Pandora's Lunchbox is a show about food and culture and the weird things that happen when culture gets in your food. It's December, uh, I'm going to say 15th. I don't really, I don't have a calendar in front of me. Let's just, no, it's actually the 14th. It's December 14th, and that really underscores the fact that this is a season for confusion. A time when, in the deep, deep late autumn that feels like winter sometimes, it's about 50 degrees, and I'm not talking about Kelvin. <laughs> That was kind of funny. No, let me pat myself on the back for that joke. That was really great. Um, all right, so here's the thing. We're going to try in the next half hour to find the true meaning of Christmas. And I'm going to talk like this for the next half hour. No, but first of all, let's go to Iceland, okay? Let's go to Iceland, shall we? We're going to hear the sound of uh, Gus Gus. And I don't know if it's a guy named Gus. It's just a band called Gus Gus, really. So let's, uh, there you go. This is Gus Gus in a song called Acid Milk. This will make sense in a moment. Or it might not. Okay, are you in Iceland yet? Good, because we're going to Iceland for some Christmas traditions from Iceland. Specifically, the Yuletide Lads. They're called the Jolas Veinar. I hope that any Icelandic speakers won't be too offended by my butchering of that pronunciation. 
The Yolas Venar start arriving in town on the morning of December 12th. This is from the website called simnet.is, IS for Iceland. Remember to place a shoe on your virtual windowsill before that, as they will leave a small cyber gift for children who have been good, a small toy or fruit, for example. And those children who have been naughty will receive something they will not like too much. Yolas Venar first appeared in the 17th century as the sons of Grilla and Lepaludi, who themselves had appeared in the 13th century and had earned a reputation for stealing and eating naughty children. The Olas Venar were tallied at either 9 or 13, but their names are at least 70. 13 of the most commonly accepted names of the Olas Venar are listed on this website. The first one on December 12th is Stekjarstar, also known as Gimpy. And there's a poem about him. Unfortunately, I cannot read the original Icelandic because it does rhyme in Icelandic and would probably be really cool to hear, but I am unilingual, so here we go in English as listed on the website. Gimpy was the first, stiff like a tree. He snuck into the stables and fooled the farmer's sheep. He wanted to suck milk from them. They did not care for that. And because he had peg legs, it did not go too well. I think you start seeing visions of that when you start drinking this acid milk that this band is singing about here. In my stomach, my I am Gimpy. No. Okay, then uh, on the 13th is... Giliagar, the gully imp. December 14th, today is Stufer, also known as Itty Bitty. On December 15th, I'm sorry I can't pronounce that, and I again I, I would have I would be disrespectful. The pot scraper is on December 15th. The pot liquor is on December 16th. The bowl liquor is on December 17th. The door slammer is on December 18th. And uh Skir Gobbler is on December 19th. Now Skir is an Icelandic yogurt type food. And December 20th is the Sausage Snatcher. Better watch out for that. And the Window Peeper, the Doorway Sniffer, the Meat Hooker, and the Candle Beggar are the rest of them. Now, they have a few other names. There, there are about 70 different names, including the Strap Loosener, the Skirt Blower. Uh-oh. Okay, this is a family show, folks. Sorry. The Fat Gobbler, the Barn Roll, the Donut Beggar, Lamp Shadow, Smoke Gulper, Butter Greedy, Black Ugly, and Icebreaker. These are the Yuletime Lads, which are a tradition in Iceland. And it's really a lot of fun to hear about these things that we in the United States don't necessarily think about so much. Now, we're going to hear a little about those that pair of child-eating, bloodthirsty ogres we heard about earlier, because it's just fun. Gorilla and Lepaludi. These ogres are the supposed parents of the Yolas Venar, the Yuletide Lads. The dominant member in the relationship is Grilla, who, according to some sources, had another husband before Lepaludi. His name was Boli. Boli and later Lepaludi were bedridden, and Grilla went around the countryside begging to support her husbands. At Christmas time, she stole children who had been naughty during the year. Through the centuries, Grilla has been a very popular means of making children behave. There are numerous stories about Grilla and her exploits, but she never really gets her hands on the children. Either they have been very well behaved throughout the year, or they managed to escape. That is good news. Meanwhile, there's also the Yule Cat. I love this stuff. The oldest written stories of the Yule Cat, this is an Icelandic tradition, are from the 19th century. These refer to the fact that those who do not get a new item of clothing for Yule are destined to become offerings for the Yule Cat. Now, this is my kind of Christmas. It may sound strange that the deprived ones will also become the sacrifices, but this tradition is based on the fact that every effort was made to finish all work with the autumn wool before Yule. 
The reward for those who took part in the work was a new piece of clothing. Those who were lazy received nothing. Thus, the Yule Cat was used as an incentive to get people to work harder. The Yule Cat. I wonder, okay, this is, this is a poem about the Yule Cat. It's written by one of Iceland's most beloved poets in the century, Johannes Urkotlum. And it's actually translated here by a fellow named Vignir Jonsson, who says, You'll have to forgive me, but I didn't make it rhyme. I'm not much of a poet. Well, I'm not much of a poet either, or a reader, but here goes. You all know the Yule Cat, and that cat was huge indeed. People didn't know where he came from or where he went. He opened his glaring eyes wide, the two of them glowing bright. It took a really brave man to look straight into them. His whiskers, sharp as bristles, his back arched up high, and the claws of his hairy paws were a terrible sight. He gave a wave of his strong tail, he jumped and he clawed and he hissed, sometimes up in the valley, sometimes down by the shore. He roamed at large, hungry and evil, in the freezing Yule snow. In every home, people shuddered at his name. If one heard a pitiful meow, something evil would happen soon. Everybody knew he hunted men, but didn't care for mice. He picked on the very poor that no new garments got, for Yule, who toiled and lived in dire need. The Yule Cat. And, you know, isn't it fortunate that to help us understand that, we have another song from Iceland, this one actually in Icelandic. This is the Sugar Cubes, and this is called Cat.
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the sugar cubes and cat, or cat, perhaps, in Icelandic from the Sugar Cubes album Life's Too Good. And it's about, not about the Yule cat, but close enough. This is Pandora's Lunchbox. It's a show about food. My name is Mike. How you doing? And we're talking about Christmas and other holiday traditions. You know, those are some interesting traditions in Iceland, but how about England? How about England? Now, this is this is actually not a Christmas tradition. It's an excuse to talk about something unrelated. I haven't done that before, so we'll give this a whirl. But I get it's not true that I get all of my information from the Internet. Some of it I get from desk calendars, and this one is from a desk calendar. Here we go. When Hubert Booth of England developed the first workable vacuum cleaner in 1901, it was a huge device that required a horse and a wagon to pull it through the streets and several men to operate it. That's a big vacuum. Still, Booth's vacuum became a sensation after it was used to clean the carpets in Westminster Abbey for the coronation of King Edward the VII. I'm so, I'm so slow, you know, I have a computer brain. Seven. You know, we need, a cal- we need a calculator to convert Roman numerals so we can figure out when all those movies were made. But nonetheless, wealthy English women threw dirt parties so their friends could watch the carpets being vacuumed. Back then, people knew how to have fun. It's a dirt party. I, I can think of it as a Christmas. We're having a dirt party for Christmas. Uh, maybe not. But uh, it's not a dirt nap. That comes later. It's a dirt party. So even Anglos, like me, can have fun. And that's very, very encouraging. Now we're going to do something special. We haven't done anything special yet. But first of all, let's do this. We're going to talk about the true meaning of Christmas. A moment of silence, please. Are you seated comfortably, my brethren? And sister Runerin? Then here we go, the true meaning of Christmas. In ancient Babylon, the feast of the son of Isis, goddess of nature, was celebrated on December 25th. Raucous partying, gluttonous eating and drinking, and gift-giving were traditions of the feast. In 350, Pope Julius I declared that Christ's birth would be celebrated on December 25th. The new religion went down a bit easier, knowing that their feasts would not be taken away from them. This is all from, not a desk calendar, but a website, de.assortment.com. The Romans called their winter holiday Saturnalia, honoring Saturn, the god of agriculture. In January, they observed the Kalends of January, which represented the triumph of life over death. This whole season was called Dies Natalis Invicti Solis, the birthday of the unconquered sun. The festival season was marked by much merrymaking. I think we need to spice up the party here. Hold on. Yeah, that's more like it. Here we go. It is in ancient Rome that the tradition of mummers was born. The mummers were groups of costume singers and dancers who traveled from house to house, entertaining their neighbors. From this, the Christmas tradition of caroling was born. The pagans of Northern Europe celebrated their own winter solstice, known as Yule. Yule was symbolic of the pagan sun god Mithras being born and was observed on the shortest day of the year. As the sun god grew and matured, the days became longer and warmer. It was customary to light a candle to encourage Mithras and the sun to reappear next year. Huge lu- And now, in Icelandic, and now in English, huge Yule logs were burned in honor of the sun. The word Yule itself means wheel, the wheel being a pagan symbol for the sun. Mistletoe was considered a sacred plant, and the custom of kissing under the mistletoe began as a fertility ritual. Holly berries were thought to be a food of the gods. 
Live evergreen trees were often brought into northern European homes during the harsh winters as a reminder to inhabitants that soon their crops would grow again. Evergreen boughs were sometimes carried as totems of good luck and were often present at weddings representing fertility. The Druids used the tree as a religious symbol, holding their sacred ceremonies while surrounding and worshipping huge trees. Yeah, that's good. And wait, one more uh, moment here. Hold it. This is, um, I think we need to kick this up a notch. What do you think? Here we go. Okay, that's just obnoxious. Sorry. That's more like it. I can handle that better. Christmas, Christ Mass, as we know it today, most historians agree, began in Germany, though Catholics and Lutherans still disagree about which church celebrate it first. We did it first. No, we did it first. It's Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. That, that's not in the text. The earliest record of an evergreen being decorated in a Christian celebration was in 1521 in the Alsace region of Germany. A prominent Lutheran minister of the day cried blasphemy, quote, better that they should look to the true tree of life, Christ. But the controversy does not end there, folks. Let me, let me read something to you, and it will be clear in a moment why I'm reading this to you, my brothers and sisters, why I'm telling you this. December 14th, this is another desk calendar. December 14th is another day in history. On this day in 1911, Norwegian explorer Roald Amundsen became the first person to reach the South Pole. Leaving Norway in June 1910, Amundsen sailed south to Antarctica and set up a base camp in the Bay of Wales. He set out for the pole on October 19, 1911, with four companions and 52 sled dogs. He made excellent time due to good weather and reached the South Pole less than two months later. Amundsen and his team spent several days making scientific observations and returned to their base camp on January 25, 1912. He was also the first person to make a ship voyage through the Northwest Passage and one of the first to cross the Arctic by air. What's not spoken here, and this, is, this has been controversial ever since, you know, just as some people argue when the first Christmas celebration was, there are a lot of arguments about the true meaning of Santa Claus. People take Santa Claus very seriously. It's very important. There are 40-foot blown-up images of Santa Claus on lawns. Sometimes when they fall over, they're face down. They look like they've had a great party. And that reminds me of a Saturnalia, really. I never really thought of Santa Claus at a Saturnalia or a Santanalia. I don't know. But nonetheless, okay, my point, I digress. Uh, Roald, uh, Roald Amundsen went to the South Pole and he saw Santa Claus there. That's the legend. Not often discussed. I may be the first one ever to mention it, but it's not often discussed. He saw Santa Claus at the South Pole, not the North Pole, and that is leading to a lot of controversy now. A lot of churches are up in arms about this because Santa is supposed to come from the North Pole. It's in the Santa Bible. He's from the North Pole. But there was a song about 20 years ago, 30, actually 40 years ago, that that raised another ruckus of the Santa legend, and this is important cultural artifacts, folks. Exhibit 1, Buck Owens. Well, I've been sort of worried about Santa Claus this year Cause we live way out west and it didn't snow out here But I'm telling you not to worry Cause I just got the word Everybody listen closely and I'll tell you what I heard Santa's coming in a stagecoach Instead of his trusty sleigh He'll have horses instead of reindeer 
to carry him on his way. Cause the weatherman had some problems. He couldn't get snow, you see. Santa's gonna come in a stagecoach when he visits you and me. Well, Santa can't bring his reindeer. He'll leave them far away. But don't you worry about him. He gonna be here Christmas Day. He's got a big red stagecoach with jingle bells and all. And there's gonna be a Merry Christmas, a Merry Christmas for all. Santa's gonna come in a stagecoach instead of his trusty sleigh. He'll have horses instead of reindeer to carry him on his way. The weatherman had some problems. He couldn't get snow, you see. Santa's gonna come in a stagecoach when he visits you and me. Santa's gonna come in a stagecoach when he visits you and me. Just adding to the shocking controversy, Buck Owens and Santa's gonna come in a stagecoach. Not a sleigh, folks, a stagecoach. You know, it's 50 degrees out there, so we might actually come in a stagecoach. Actually, I've just gotten word. I just got a call in. There's a traffic pileup on Main Street. People are really upset about the song I just played. I want to say I'm sorry. The songs that we play in WCBN are not the responsibility of the regents of the University of Michigan. I just want to reiterate that now. That was Buck Owens. Santa's going to come in a stagecoach from Merry Christmas, Country Style. It's Pandora's Lunchbox. This is it's Pandora. It, it is Pandora Lunchbox. It Mike. Am not speak. It's Pandora's Lunchbox. This is Mike. And in about 10 minutes, it's Face the Music. In the meantime, some more information for you. This is something that's actually happening this Saturday, December 16th in Ypsilanti. It's at 219 Washtenaw Avenue. There's going to be a special event from a Latino cultural group called Alebrije. I hope I pronounced that all right. It's a Mexican Christmas tradition, including such things as a family comedy called Pastorella, and the comedy is called Bethlehem e la Cosa Nostra. I don't think it's anything to do with southern Italy. It's Bethlehem e la Cosa Nostra, followed by a party called Posada that includes songs, piñatas, and food. The Pastorella is a family comedy that shows the eternal fight of good versus evil, where the battlefield is the human being's soul. And this is all going on at 219 Washtenaw Avenue, Saturday, December 16th, starting at 5.30 p.m. That's this Saturday. You can find out more at 330-1890. That's area code 734-330-1890. I don't know if reservations are necessary, but it wouldn't hurt to try. So that's coming up. A whole lot else going on and a whole lot else I want to talk about, but we're running out of time because there's so much to celebrate. And I want to talk a little bit about Hanukkah, and I have to apologize because I'm no expert on Hanukkah, but there's some information about Hanukkah food that I find very interesting. Now, Hanukkah is coming up very soon. Sundown, very soon. It is coming up. It begins on the 25th day of the Jewish calendar month of Kislev. This is year 5757 on the Jewish calendar. Hanukkah begins sundown on Friday, December 15th, and continues through sundown on December 23rd. This is just a sliver of information from the Jewish Outreach Institute website, joi.org. A favorite Hanukkah food is latkes, or potato pancakes. Originally, the pancakes were made of cheese. From the custom of eating cheese delicacies grew the custom of eating pancakes of all kinds. 
During the Middle Ages, Jews explained this custom by connecting it with the story of Judith, which they linked with the story of Hanukkah. Judith, according to legend, was a daughter of the Hasmoneans. She fed cheese to the leader of the enemies of the Jews. He was made thirsty by the cheese and began to drink much wine. When he grew quite drunk, she cut off his head. For this reason, it is said, Jews eat cheese delicacies on Hanukkah. And latkes, potato pancakes, are eaten because they're cooked in oil and thus remind us of the miracle of the single cruise, the pitcher of oil. And that was the pitcher of oil that was supposed to only burn for one day, nonetheless burned for eight, thus the menorah with eight candles. And... That's some information about Hanukkah. Now, here we go. The Talmud says that when the Jewish army wanted to rededicate the temple, they were unable to find enough specially prepared oil to light the menorah, a holy lamp, or a candelabra used in the temple service. Finally, in one temple chamber, the Maccabees found a single bottle of oil, which normally would have lasted only one night. However, by a miracle, the one bottle of oil lasted eight nights until new oil, fit for temple use, could be produced. And that is some information about Hanukkah, just some, just a sliver. And there are also Hanukkah letters written to Baba and Zaidi. You can look that up on the web, Baba and Zaidi. And in much the same way that kids write letters to Santa, you can write Hanukkah letters to Baba and Zaidi. You can find out about that on the web. And it's really hard to cram all of this cool information into a half an hour. We're almost done, but I do want to talk a bit about now these real holidays and these fascinating stories. How do you come up with National Bouillabaisse Day exactly? I saw this on a website today. Thursday, December 14th is National Bouillabaisse Day. So if you haven't eaten dinner yet, maybe you could find some of that. And, okay, I should also point out that Friday, December 15th is National Lemon Cupcake Day. And perhaps most importantly and most festively, Monday, December 18th is National Roast Suckling Pig Day. Oh, the roast suckling pig of Christmas. You know, I mean, you can, you know, we all know songs from the campfire, uh, burning Yule logs and things like that. Um, but National Bouillabaisse Day, I couldn't find an origin for this. I just found a bunch of wacky websites talking about weird holidays, and there was National Bouillabaisse Day today. Quick notice from the Los Angeles Times. Widely accepted as having originated in Marseille, bouillabaisse is a luscious, soupy seafood stew with a rich fish broth flavored with onions, garlic, Tomatoes, parsley, leeks, orange peel, basil, thyme, bay leaf, potatoes, and wild fennel. Bouillabaisse is a jazzy ensemble in which all these assertive flavors are heard. Kind of like WCBN. Another thing it's not, a bowl full of tomato-based broth garnished with chunks of expensive seafood such as lobster, shrimp, and scallops. Salmon is heresy. We're back to heresy again. The croutons belong under the surface, not on top, and never ever should it be topped with grated cheese. This last misstep is fine if you're talking about a soup de poisson, a a generic name for French seafood soup, but cheese and bouillabaisse should not be uttered in the same breath. Oh, God, I just did that. Real bouillabaisse is very Marseille, unpretentious, rough, and hearty. Neither fancy nor refined, it came into the world as a simple meal assembled by hungry, resourceful fishermen. The juices extracted from the skin and bones of boiled fish mm, give the broth a thick, distinctive, almost cloudy texture and a fresh, profound, rustic taste of the sea. Today is National Bouillabaisse Day. And we'll probably be celebrating that in one way or the other for the next five hours. I'm not really sure if it'll be intentional, but nonetheless, there it is. This has been Pandora's Lunchbox. I've been Mike for at least a half an hour. Our wolf is here, ready to help us face the music. In the meantime, to celebrate National Bouillabaisse Day, I'd like to take just a moment to play...
but it's perhaps the National Bouillie Bay song. You know, long before the Food Network, there were the DeMarco Sisters. And now we're going to take just a moment to hear the DeMarco Sisters to celebrate this special day. This is WCBN FM Ann Arbor. CBN FM Ann Arbor, the only place where you'd have someone um, uh, reminding you so insistently that this is really National Booyah Bay's day? It is. That's amazing, Mike. Uh, good evening. Um, my name is R. Wolf, and it's time to face the music. Before we can do anything else, I have to play you Wild Man Fisher's song that's called The, the Booyah Bays. Yes, The Booyah Bays. Um, he has a completely different approach, and you've heard this piece before. It's one of my favorite things to air on, on the airwaves because it's, uh, well, it's kind of twisted. This, in fact, is your national anthem, especially today. 